0: church Um, to make the most of our time tonight in our shortened service getting ready for VBS we're going to use uh, uh, the time around the table as we reflect on uh, the death of Jesus Christ as we prepare those we're going to take um, also as uh, a time of reflection for all of us so the passage of scripture that I'd like to consider with you tonight is 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 and as you're turning there we'll read um, verses 14 and 15 in here in just a moment When you look in Scripture and consider, you know, the key event that drives what we're doing here, the reason that we've come together, there's one event in the history of the world that really is moving this thing, and that is the fact that Jesus Christ entered the world, lived a perfect life, and gave his life on the cross. And what's so beautiful about uh, Jesus giving himself on the cross is that You know, from the very beginning we see in the Gospels the reason why he did that. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did, as we sing the song, my savior come to earth? And why did he have to go to the cross? And most of us are probably pretty familiar with some of the main reasons why Jesus had to die. We might give answers like, well, it was for our sin, or maybe to absolve the wrath of God, or maybe for us to be, we might use language like saved or go to heaven. And what is so special about the New Testament, from the time that you read the gospels forward, is that the Bible continues to reveal different nuances or reasons why Jesus had to die. So when we answer that Jesus died for our sins, there's a whole host of things underneath that statement that give deeper, expanded meaning to that of what really our sin did to Jesus and did to God, and what it did to us and does to us, and how Jesus releases us from not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. Sin is the ultimate destruction of human life. It is the replacing of God at the center of our universe and replacing him with us. And when we as humans participate in that, we continue to strangle ourselves from the life of God that he has for us. Well, here in 2 Corinthians chapter five, Paul gives us a really unique look into why Jesus had to die, what he accomplished with his death. Listen to verse 14. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, who for their sake died and was raised. Now, this statement that Paul, just, uh, Paul wrote for us that we just read could be summed up in this statement that Jesus died for our sins. You could just say it in that capsule of a sentence, Jesus died for our sins, but he expands that. What I want to do is share with you what is meant by that. First of all, you see Paul say in verse 14 that the love of Christ, uh, you might have a version that says compels us or persuades us. Um, This is a constricting word, meaning the love of Christ when understood, probably my favorite translation, I think it's the Phillips translation, says it this way that the love of Christ leaves me no other choice when I understand it, when I think about it. When the glory of His love is made known to me and my heart is humble enough to receive it, it leaves me in a position where I'm left with no other choice than to respond to it. And here's how it does this. Here's the first step. He says, because we've concluded this. Now, that's an important statement in and of itself that the love of God requires us to conclude things, to think about it, to reflect on it. And here's what Paul concluded, that one has died for all. You've probably heard that message over and over, that Jesus died for the sins of the world. John 3.16, that God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. And here's what Paul did when he thought about the fact that one man, Jesus Christ, died for the many, for all people. Here's what his conclusion was. If one died for all all then have died. It's kind of an interesting play on words, but here's what I think he's getting at. That if one person had to die for everyone, that means that everyone has died spiritually or will. Uh, Maybe earlier in Romans chapter 3, as Paul would say, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is kind of the same language that he's saying, but here he's using some logic to conclude that. That if one person had to, give his life for everyone. The logical conclusion is that everyone needed him and does need him. That if he had to die because of the sins of all people, all people are involved in this problem and need him. And if that's the case, here's what he says in verse 15. And he died for all. Here's the second conclusion. Here's why Jesus had to die. One of the many reasons. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. So here's something that happened at Calvary. When Jesus willingly climbed the hill and was hung on the cross, when he died, he died, as we might say in that capsulated verse, or that capsulated sentence, that he gave himself for our sins. And here's what it means. He died for all that those who live, who continue to live, might no longer live for themselves and that truth of our problem of sin has to confront us it has to constantly confront us that our problem with sin is not just um, misdeeds and um, missteps of behavior and things that we need to clean up but it's really this at the heart of it this center that we live for ourselves and God loves us so much cares for us so much that he will go to the ends of the earth to make sure that we don't live that way. Not because he is envious of our attention, jealous of where we spend our time, energy, resources, but because as a parent would look at their own child and say, what you're doing is not good for you. I love you enough to help you stop doing that. He says, listen, the ultimate end of you living for yourself is complete and utter isolation. If you draw out Living for yourself to its end conclusion, the end result is isolation. Now, I have been at places, I've done some funerals with people that I didn't know, I've just been called on to help, who um, didn't have anybody in their life. It's a lonely, eerie feeling at the end of somebody's life not to have anybody. And if you live for yourself, For your entire life, circling around your own little world, concerned only with you, the ultimate end of that is you'll run out of people willing to give their life to be around you. You'll run out of that. And God is saying, listen, the ultimate end of living obsessed with you is loneliness. Now, how is hell described in the Bible? Utter darkness, weeping, and gnashing of teeth? I think what he's saying is the ultimate experience of hell is like in a prison, isolation all alone, separated from life. And he died on the cross so that you would not live for yourself anymore. But who should you live for? Well, what should we do, right? Uh, Okay, if I don't want to live for myself, what should I replace that with? How do I swap that out? And here's what he says, that we should live for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, that swap might sound a little bit... um, Uh, You know, if you put it in human terms, a little bit manipulative, right? Jesus gave himself so that he could substitute, you know, you focusing on yourself to you turning your attention back to him. But here's the glory of Jesus, the greatness of God and his love, that he knows that when your mind is fixated, when your life is revolving around and your life is built upon God's love for you and who God is for you, when you're considering him, you then become what he says here in just a few verses later in verse 17. Verse 17. When anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on his behalf. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. The ultimate delivery or salvation at the cross is that He rescued us from self obsession to return our building of our lives around Him, so that we might have the opportunity to give ourselves to the glory of God and the good of others, so that we might have what the Bible calls life, freedom, and joy. Um, Now we're going to take the communion. In just a moment, we'll offer an invitation after those who are going to take communion can take communion.
1: For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his, his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us We now have received the reconciliation. Let's give thanks. Father, we we thank you for um, taking the weight of sin, um, placing it on your son, allowing him to bear that cross that each one of us needs to bear each and every day. We thank you for going to the cross for us and giving us a hope of being a child of yours um, now and through the remainder of our our lives here. We thank you for the opportunity to partake in this memorial feast, the bread representing his broken body. We ask, Father, for those that are partaking at this time to, to meditate and to think of the reconciliation that we have in Christ and to always honor and respect um, this communion time. We love you. We ask you to bless this bread in Christ's name.
0: From this text that's uh, really insightful from Paul for us is that when you you survey or consider the cross, there were a lot of things that were visible to human beings at the time of the cross. They could see the suffering of Jesus. They could see... um, his bleeding, the crown of thorns that he was wearing. They could see, uh, you know, a few around him that were caring for him, and and they could watch what was happening. But there were things happening that were not visible to the human eye at the cross. And uh, Paul brings a couple of those out. Things that were happening not in the realm of humanity, but in the realm of God's world, in His cosmic realm. And in verse 18, it says that this, or verse 19. Pardon me, that Christ, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself at the time of Christ and the cross. And here's how he was doing it. it. was something that we couldn't see, but it was happening in God's world. He says that he was not counting our trespasses against us. Not counting them against us. In that moment, he was taking the trespasses or the sins of the world and counting them somewhere, but not to us. He was counting them to Christ. If you go down to verse 21, here's another insight where he says, For our sake, He made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. And here's what happens to Christians, those that put their faith in Jesus and become one with him through the waters of baptism. He says, Jesus knew no sin so that in him, in Jesus, we would become the righteousness of God. That word righteousness means that which is right in his sight, that which is acceptable, that which is approved. In the world, in God's realm, in God's economy, at the cross, something magnificent was happening that we couldn't see. That when Jesus was dying, he was taking the transgressions of the world and absorbing the cost of those. And God was then saying, I don't have to count now this cost to you. And at the same time, as Jesus is absorbing that cost, you and I are becoming the accepted in God's sight, the beloved. Like when Jesus was baptized and he looked down, and uh, you know the dove came down and the voice from heaven said this is my beloved son in him I am well pleased and that's what happens for us when we become Christians God looks at us and says you are my child and even yes in you I am well pleased so if you're not a Christian you're not a child of God may I suggest to you that that's the very words that every person is longing to hear the love from their approving father that says you are the one that I've always approved of that I want that I cherish and well done. We want to hear that. And in Jesus Christ we can hear that from God. And that offer us to anyone who might not be in the position to be in Christ. We come as we stand and sing.